Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. This is episode 14, where I had the chance to sit down with Pastor Lauren Decker to talk about the faith community and his experience as a founding member of a coalition and some advice that he's learned over the years. Lauren Decker spent a lifetime in the ministry. He grew up as a preacher's kid and eventually found his way into Christian broadcasting. He produced and co-hosted a nationally syndicated radio program with Dr. John DeBryan for two decades before taking a full-time pastorate in Middleborough, Massachusetts. He also happens to be my fantastic husband, so I hope that you enjoy this conversation and that it helps you in the faith community to get more involved in coalitions and those of you who are from coalitions to get the faith community to the table. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. This is episode 14 and I'm really excited. Uh, Today I'm sitting down with Lauren Decker, who is the pastor of Lifehouse Church in Middleborough and also happens to be my fantastic, fabulous husband. Lauren has a great experience in working with community coalitions and I thought it would be great to have him on our show to talk about the faith community and getting involved in coalition. So welcome, Lauren, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and being involved with community coalitions. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's um, congratulations to you on a very successful podcast that's really developing and taking off. We're glad to have that happen. I am uh, the pastor of Lifehouse Church in Middleborough, Massachusetts, and I'm involved with the community and have been for some time. Um, I got involved with the coalitions through an effort that we started here at Lifehouse Church about 12 years ago. We gathered the players in the community together, those who were active and responsible to um, oversee parts of the community, youth work, finances, town government, and we brought them to the table, a breakfast table, literally. We served breakfast at the church. And we asked them to give their input as to what the community needed. A long time ago, I heard a great agenda for a church, a good plan to um, make a successful church in a community. And it was basically to drop your own agenda, take a look around at the town and say, how can we help? That's just what we did. We asked town leaders how we could help. And out of that grew an effort to form a strategic plan and then thus was born Middleborough Youth Advocates, which um, was very active and for some time. I mean, you got involved with that too. And that was our first attempt to work together in community coalitions. And I um, had the idea just prior to that um, to start a youth agency. I'll tell you how that happened. Um, I was working in an alternative program at the school, local school, high school. And uh, it was for behaviorally challenged kids who were also struggling academically. And 
part of their agreement to get into this chartered program was that they would have to perform community service hours. So I, as director of the program, started looking around for community service opportunities. And I came up with some interesting options, and it was fun to be creative with that. And the young people involved in the charter school came to me and said, this is great. My, my probation officer is really excited. I'm doing community service. Um, I also have 20 hours for the court. Could I do those as well? One, one young man had 45 hours for the court and hadn't done any. And so I thought, well, why not get more community service opportunities going? So I expanded the outreach and contacted people in town. And we, um, we came up with some really cool community service options. And the probation officers loved us. They, their caseloads are so heavy and so full, they, they can't constantly keep track of all the community service uh, hours that are needed to be performed by youth. And then you have the diversion program as well. So it's probation and diversion. Um, the DA's office runs a diversion program. They also needed community service hours. And it just wasn't getting done. So we, we started getting it accomplished. We got a lot of attention, a lot of, a lot of offers to send more kids. And um, we, we, we um, organized some really cool opportunities. I'll tell you what one was. We asked residents in Middleborough to donate sewing machines that they weren't using anymore. And we got 10 or 12 sewing machines donated to us. And I don't know the first thing about sewing machines, but we have we had high school and junior high school nurses who were prolific at sewing. And they came in and taught a sewing class to my various youth that were involved in the program. And every sewing machine had a young person attached to it. And um, actually, the young men liked it better than the young ladies. They, they enjoyed learning how to sew with a sewing machine. And once they learned how to do the, the sewing, they made caps for women undergoing chemotherapy treatment in a local hospital and had the privilege to go to the hospital and donate them to the program there. And so they saw a program or a project through from beginning to its fruition. And it was life-changing. They felt that they were contributing and they were excited about what they were doing. And so we, we formed an agency called the Gyrus Agency which stands for Juvenile Advocacy Initiative for Restitution Utilizing Service. And Jairus is an acronym for a gentleman who we meet in Mark chapter 5 of the Bible who was desperate to find help for his daughter who was dying. He had a 12-year-old girl who was beyond help of the doctors, and he went to find the healer, Jesus, and as the story goes, he found Jesus down by the lake and begged him to come back to his home. And on the way, there, they, they ran into a delay, and a messenger came from Jairus' home and said, it's too late, your daughter's gone. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And you just feel the, the sadness in Jairus overwhelm him, and he just collapses to the ground, and he, he's heartbroken. His daughter is dead. 
But in that moment, Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid, just trust me. So as the story goes, they go on to the house and Jesus says, the little girl is just asleep. And he said to her, wake up, little girl. And she comes to life and everyone is overjoyed. And we thought Jairus emerged as a caring adult who would never give up on the life of a child, even when it looked like all hope was gone. And we thought he was a pretty good role model for us. So we um, we didn't give up on anybody. And formed um, after we formed the community service option for our agency, we also then developed a anger management program and a 12-step program. And they were very effective for young people because the average 12-step program works on addiction. You already have a problem, it's addiction. You're addicted to alcohol or drugs or similar. The young people in our program weren't fully addicted to anything yet. They were still using to try and experiment. And So what we ended up talking about in the program was those issues that made them want to drink or drug and some life-changing moments transpired in that little classroom and saw some young people really get honest with themselves and restored to their parents and it was really heartwarming and very effective so I had a taste of community service work back then and I've never let go of it I, uh, I still believe a good opportunity for the church is is in the town you're in and your agenda should be how can we help sure definitely I think a lot of times churches are hesitant though to get involved when they see something like a coalition or they see just state programs or things like that they're hesitant can you talk a little bit about why maybe churches are or faith places are hesitant to get involved and maybe what some of those barriers are and just speak to some of that i never really understood it um i went to a coalition meeting in a nearby city about 10 years ago and they had all the sectors represented but I was from another town I was going to listen and learn but I was the only clergy member there only member of the faith community there and I thought where is the faith community I know that many pastors like myself have a dread or a fear of getting the state involved in their program they feel that they're going to have to compromise their values or their truth. But that's not been my experience at all. I found that the state welcomes the help. And churches are, are a different thing altogether than state agencies. We have a different mission and a different scope. But there's a respect in the community for clergy, for men of the cloth, women of the cloth. It comes from um, upbringing. It comes from just um, not being familiar with the church's program, but there is a, a genuine but subtle respect for faith-based initiatives and a willingness to work together that I, I found to be wide open doors, not closed doors. And no one ever asked us to compromise a value or 
a belief or to tone it down. And we would, in our 12-step program, we would say, you have to have a higher power. And I know that lots of you don't have a higher power. Let, let us tell you who ours is. And we would explain our relationship, relationship to God and through Jesus. And I'd always say, if you wonder what God is like, Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. And the story he told to illustrate that best was called The Prodigal Son. And the young man who wandered away from his home in that story came to the end of his himself and went back home ready to make himself a servant for his father. And his father welcomed him and hugged him and threw a feast and said, my, my son who I thought was dead was is, is alive and we're celebrating. And it shows the, the love of God and the love of the father. And um, that's who that's who he really is. He's not he's not angry with these kids that are messing up. He wants to have a relationship with them. And so I I'm convinced that if you want to get involved with your community, you'll find open doors and opportunities to share stories like I just shared about Jairus. And uh, the respect and the interest is is at a high level these days. Sure. I was thinking kind of from coalition perspective, some coalitions are hesitant to bring the faith community to the table, and they have some legitimate fears as well. Just like the faith community has fears about being involved in coalition work, the coalition also has fears about having persons of faith or the faith community at the table. What are some of the reasons why coalitions would see that as an issue, and what are some things that you've done to overcome that? Sometimes coalitions fear faith-based involvement because they think that they're there to build their own system or their own church or their own organization. They're looking for notches in their belt. They're looking for um, people they can convert, uh, proselytizing. I think that's um, not what you lead with. Of course, churches want to build themselves and grow, but there's um, a responsibility. The worst case scenario would be that there'd be enmity between the state and the church. But some churches feel like there's an enmity that exists there. They're, they're not like us. They're, they're different from us. They have a different agenda. But in that case, many times, times churches avoid the state altogether or the town and stay clear of politics and local issues well Jesus said in worst case scenario love your enemies and how do you how do you love your enemy you you treat them kindly you get involved in their life you bless them so a coalition is, has every right to be suspecting that a faith-based agency is there to add to its numbers but we got to work together, and um, Jesus said he would build his church. I, I leave it up to him. I just have a responsibility to be kind and gracious and peaceful and and hospitable and welcoming to those people in my community that need someone to listen to them or to help them out through a tough situation. 
it's not my responsibility to add notches to my belt. So coalitions have been affected negatively by churches with agendas to um, simply look for converts and not look for opportunities to love. That's a good point. I know we had just talked about a story uh, before this about a police chief who kind of exemplified this. Do you want to talk a little bit about that story and maybe tell a little bit about that? There were some local demonstrators in Nashville. It was a situation we all knew about in the national news. And um, one night they blocked off the highway. And that's a dangerous situation to get into. Um, so the police were responding, and but they didn't want to go and arrest everyone and have a negative situation get worse. Instead, the police chiefs decided to serve them coffee and hot chocolate and donuts, and they actually blessed the protesters. And there was mixed reviews, but I commend them. You know, there's a story in the Bible that I love. Um, it's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he, uh, he, he had a servant who woke up one day and saw the Aramean army about to just descend on them and to destroy them. And he was terrified. And he said, Master, Master, look, we're surrounded by the enemy. And the prophet went out and asked God to give him divine assistance. And he asked that God strike the army with blindness. And God answered his prayer. And he had a whole bunch of soldiers who suddenly couldn't see. So the prophet said, follow me. I know where to I don't know where you want to go, and I know how to take you there. So he took them right into the capital city, and they stood there in the center of the town, and the mayor came out, or the equivalent of the mayor came out and said to the prophet, well, here's our enemies right in our hand. What should we do? Should we kill them? And he said, no, let's feed them. Feed them? Yeah, give them a banquet. Serve lunch. And... um. After that day, when their eyesight was restored and they'd been fed a good meal, they didn't bother the prophet or his people anymore. And it's sort of killing them with kindness kind of concept, but God, God is love. And we're told that in the scripture. That's what he is. He could have described himself as all-powerful or truth or any any adjective you can think of that would describe God, he could have used that as his his moniker. But he said, "I'm love." So God leads with love, and I don't know why his followers don't. But we should lead in our community with ways of love, and that to me means listening and coming to a coalition table and seeing how we can contribute and help and. It's um, really quite simple when you boil it down. It's not rocket science. It's just being kind and gracious. I was thinking about that a little bit today because uh, with the passing of Dr. Billy Graham and just hearing about how so many people, even from different faiths and different backgrounds, all had a respect and um, just a mutual respect for him. And one of the things that I noticed that he did was really made opportunity to have conversation with a lot of people and 
sometimes those people didn't come over and convert, but he was willing to sit down and talk to people and just hear where they were at and build bridges. And I just read a lot of stories this week of just bridges that he built between different communities. And I think um, just his legacy will live on as somebody who is able to bridge the gap between so many different places and just open up uh, conversation and dialogue. And I know that you have some personal story about Dr. Graham. Do you want to share that with us? Dr. Graham was well known for having um, people representing different faith communities on his platform when he spoke. He would honor the local clergy in a town, even if they didn't fit his mold or his his um, exact denominational belief. But he would have them sitting in a place of honor on the platform and he would be criticized for that by some people who were faith-based and mad about it. <laughs> um, but his his reasoning was always, I'm bringing them together, I'm honoring them, and they can hear, hear my message. And if I didn't invite them and give them a seat on the platform, they probably wouldn't show up. They'd probably figure I was on the outside looking in but this way he just sort of broke down barriers and made many friendships that lasted for his lifetime and won many hearts because of his openness I can say that was true of me um, I was in Columbia South Carolina back when I used to work in radio and I was there to cover the crusade in Columbia South Carolina for radio for the network broadcast that we featured. And uh, I got to the hotel and walked in and checked in my bags and took a little nap and then went down to the cafe to order some supper and wait for my friend who was going to meet me there. And as I walked into the restaurant, a gentleman who I knew from prior crusade efforts saw me come in and said, Hey, Lauren shook his hand, gave him a hug, said, hey, buddy. Went on to my table, and I heard him answer a question as to what was what was that young man's name. I was a young man at the time. I heard him say, Lauren Decker. And um, a few minutes later, I was reading my menu and waiting for my friend to show up, and a voice said, mind if I join you? And I looked up, expecting to see my buddy, and I saw instead Dr. Billy Graham. And I... I said, sure, you can join me. He sat down and we talked and he showed great interest in my life and my work and told me some good stories from the road. And we just shared um, a wonderful time together over that meal. And I could see why he was so widely respected because his humility and graciousness was honest. It was true. It was not put on. And so many hearts open to the message of Dr. Graham, the message of salvation through Jesus. Over the decades that he preached, 200 and some million people heard him preach, and many of them responded positively to his invitation to receive Jesus. And I can see why, because it was born out of a heart that's true. And he had no personal agenda. He had no axe to grind. He just wanted people to hear 
about peace with God and they could have that a peace that passes understanding and and um, I sensed that peace in him that night and I could tell you it was real I got to know many of his co-workers over the years Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and they all were humble men of great grace so whether it's a crusade or a coalition it's called, we're called upon to be true, honest, humble, servant, gracious, peaceable, kind. That's what love is. And the way I read my Bible, that's my responsibility. So a coalition in town is a great place to make that happen. And I think if you try it, Instead of staying away from the table, if you join the conversation, you'll find that you have opportunities you never dreamed of. And you'll find that probation officers and police officers and mayors and town managers and selectmen will respect the gift you bring to the table, that being yourself. It's fantastic. And I think the advice I'd give back to coalitions is, you know, don't just shoot off an email and tell clergy, hey, come to our meeting be willing to go out and meet them and sit down with them because oftentimes you can find so much in common with somebody when you actually sit down and have a real conversation with them and work on the things that unite us, not the things that divide us. I agree with that. And there's there's a lot of needy young people out there and we see high growth and addiction and crime and it's, it's getting darker, and we have a message that says there's light and there's hope, but if you hide it under a bushel basket, no one's going to see it. Jesus said that, and he said you should be shining like a city on a hill, and um, if you're going to shine, you have to have a message that shines for you. Our hope is not in our organization, it's not in our clever ability to construct a, a coalition it's the church's power is in his message and the message is that lives can be changed and that's what coalitions are trying to do right they're trying to change lives for the better so I think you have a lot more in common than you do different differing opinions well thank you very much we appreciated having you on and I hope that uh, communities of faith will share this and I hope that coalitions won't be afraid to go out and uh, knock on some doors and invite some people to the table for more information from today's podcast check out our show notes there you can find our contact information social media and website please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions and if you like today's podcast please share it with your friends thanks for listening